Hi, North County Christ the King. I'm Jen, and here at YWAM North Cascades, I oversee all of our training programs. And I am Jeremy, and I work with a lot of the operational details behind the ministry, and together we lead this organization. Obviously, the past year has been filled with challenges, but as we look forward, we're really excited to see God renewing and reviving uh, our work, training young people, bringing them in from all over the world. Many will go on to become long-term cross-cultural missionaries. Others go back to college or to the workforce, but uh, with more equipped uh, to live on mission and on purpose for God. And even though we've all experienced the global challenges with the pandemic, we've still been able to send teams overseas. Our teams have gone to Egypt, Ethiopia, South Africa, Costa Rica, and we've even had some domestic outreaches as well in San Francisco and Las Vegas. And uh, for us, that was an incredible experience and in that we don't traditionally do that, but we got to serve cross-culturally here in our own nation. Thank you so much, North County Christ the King, for partnering with us in prayer and finances and helping partner with our outreaches. We could not do this without you. So good. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. My name's Steve. I am one of the pastors here. And before we get going with our service, um, if you are not rooting for the Rams, would you stand up just so we can see who you are? All right, you can exit through the double doors in the back. <laughs> no, really, um, I'm serious. Go ahead. Just <laughs> Welcome. We're glad you're here. We, we're glad everybody is here. So thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, um, just a couple announcements for you. Uh, the first one is simply this. We have a shape class coming up. It's actually this Sunday, not today, this coming Sunday, excuse me, um, February 20th from 1230 to 4. And, and here's the deal. Uh, it's not uncommon. Christians can come into church and we can be a part of the community and just assume we're all supposed to act and operate the same way as everybody else. And it doesn't take long for you to realize, oh, wait a minute, God wired me differently than you and you're wired differently than me. And how beautiful is that? But sometimes church or Christianity can feel like you're like the round peg trying to go in a square hole. And so we have this shape class, and it's a beautiful, beautiful class. It's going to help you understand a little bit better about how God has uniquely wired you to live and function in this world. It's going to help you find your purpose. And uh, even from there, it'll help you get a better understanding of what it is to serve and participate in our church community. There's a lot of us that not only call this place home, but we get our hands and our feet dirty. We jump in, and we're serving and I always like to say church is a full contact sport. So if, uh, if you're just participating, man, we're so excited you're here, seriously. But we want you to consider jumping in and, and getting dirty with us as we share the gospel uh, with the world around us. So that's one thing that's coming up. And then secondly is this. We have a family missions trip uh, that's coming up. And you need to get, get a hold of Becky. Talk with her. And uh, there's going to be um, a membership. Not a membership meeting. Come on, Steve. There's going to be a meeting on February 18th at 630 in the family room. It is that room right over there if you walk out those doors. You'll be right in there. And they're going to Mexico, and I've been there a handful of times, and it's just, it's beautiful. Tijuana, Mexico, you're going to meet some wonderful people, change some lives. And, and how many of you know, quick show of hands, and if you're online, feel free to type in as well. If you've been on a missions trip and you've come back changed, we just, real quick, just raise your hands. It, thank you. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It is incredible. So if you don't have plans this summer, or even if you do, cancel those. And really, seriously, consider praying and bringing your family on the missions trip. It's going to be uh, just a beautiful time of blessing and, again, being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Uh, we got a lot going on. I want to encourage you to go to the website. You can find out all about our next steps and how to get involved in the church and some other things that are going on. But before we jump into the sermon, I'm going to invite Kurt to come on up, and he's going to lead us in a child dedication. 
Let's welcome the Williams family this morning. Patrick and Heather and Hannah and Liam. Come on up, Liam. We're excited that you guys have chosen to uh, dedicate a little Hannah today. Liam, you got dedicated a couple years ago, I think, right? Do you remember it? Probably not. You were really little like Hannah. But this is the Williams family, and we always love it when people dedicate their children to the Lord. And it kind of reminds me of what we're talking about today, you know, the whole covenant with God thing. And that you're saying uh, to God, and, and they're saying to us as well, that we're going to do our best to raise little Hannah in the love of Jesus, right? We're going to do our best. You're not going to be perfect, and for that we have forgiveness, which is awesome. But we're going to just pray that she is raised in the goodness and the love and the grace of Jesus. And that's what Hannah means. Hannah, that's what your name means. It means favor of God and grace of God. And then your middle name, Irene, means peace. So we have a little girl favored of God and carrying the peace of God. And look, she wants me. What could be better than that, you know? So what we love to do is we love to just pray for you guys and commit you to the Lord families as they take this journey and navigate uh, their life of raising their kids. So whatever you guys need, let us know. We'll try to help you, okay? So if you guys would, would you just extend your right hand? It's the biblical, it's the hand of blessing, and pray God's best over this family. God, first, I thank you for a man and woman that love you and are committed to you. And Jesus, I know that you're at the center of this home. So thank you for Patrick, and we just... Bless him as the father of this house. Thank you for Heather. We bless her as the mom. And we pray that together they would express the heart and the love of Jesus so well to little Hannah. And we pray for Liam today, God, that you'd help him just to be a really great big brother and do his part in helping Hannah grow up as well. And God, now we just lift up Hannah to you. We thank you for this gracious gift that you've given. We thank you for this beautiful baby that you have filled with your gifts and you have filled with um, her abilities that you've given her. And we just pray that she would grow into those so well that she would be an expression of your grace to her world around you. And that she would be a peace bringer into the lives of those people that are around her. So we thank you for Hannah today. We just pray that at a very young age, she would say yes to you, Jesus. And she would invite you to be her Lord and her Savior. So thank you for this family. May they continue just to experience your blessing in their life, your best for them, and may they continue to express that to the world around them. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. We have a beautiful little quilt for you guys. This is for you, Hannah. It's very fuzzy and warm. There you go. Isn't that pretty? Look, it kind of matches her dress today. Isn't that great? Did we plan that? Yeah, we're coordinated. It's awesome. Family, let's thank the Williams for coming on up today. Thanks, Patrick. Welcome, everybody. We're in this epic series called Rule Breakers and the Vow Keeper. 
And we're taking this journey all through the Bible. Of course, we're not going to be able to cover everything, so we encourage you to read, fill in the gaps. But this is such an awesome, awesome story that we're telling over these next several weeks. And I don't know if you've thought about God this way, but God is a planner. Are there any planners out there? Let me see. You're the beavers of the crowd, right? You like the details. God loves the details. The devil is not in the details. God is in the details. So there you go. Just wanted to set that straight. But here's what I want to say to you today as we jump in, and that is that God's plan has always included you. God's plan has always included you. And as as our students led worship this morning and they sang several songs that talked about God's covenant, I want you to know that his covenant has always included you. He's always had you in mind. Sometimes we think we're an afterthought or that our life began at the cross, but our, our life in God goes way back from his perspective. God has always thought of us. In fact, the writer of the Ephesians writes that even before the foundation of the world, God loved you and he chose you in Christ. So it's an epic story that we're talking about. You see the thread of redemption all the way through the Bible, the thread of Jesus Christ all the way through the Bible. It's an epic story. And today we're going to look at one of the most epic accounts. I'm going to use that word a lot, I think, today uh, of all of human history. You know, you have the cross, you have the resurrection. Of course, we have creation that we talked about last week. But today we're going to talk about the story of the covenant, and what's so cool is that you're going to find yourself in the story. So get ready, because we're going to talk about you today. Now, last week we talked about creation, and Steve did a masterful job of laying out how God puts man in the the garden, and and he says, this is all yours. This is pleasant, this is good, and, and God's part of this first covenant was to provide goodness and pleasantness for man. And you can care for it, and you can have it all, he said, just one rule. Remember the rule? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so here we have God's first vow to man and to woman, and you will die. And they did die. Man broke the rule, and they died. And you say, well, no, they lived a long time. Well, no, they died spiritually. They were no longer connected to God as before. And then then Jesus would come and have to repair that, right? So Jesus would have to bring our spirit back to life. But then God kept his vow, and man did die, and eventually that was a physical death. Like 900 years plus later, uh, they did die. So you've got to read Genesis. It's just such a great, great story. It's better than Netflix. I'm telling you, it is really good. You've got to read it. Quick review. They're going to put this up on the screen. Genesis 1 through 3, you have creation, and you have the curse of sin. Genesis 4, you have Cain and Abel. You have envy, and you have murder. Genesis 5, you have all the descendants of Adam to this point. Genesis 6, you have the Nephilim. Have you ever wondered about the Nephilim? These are the giants that inhabited the land. The Bible says that the sons of God came down and took the women of men, and giants were their offspring. I mean, that's 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 like a show waiting to be filmed, right? And then the world becomes so wicked that God can no longer look upon them, and then you meet Noah, and we know the story of Noah, don't we? Genesis 7 and 8, you have the great flood, Genesis 9. Uh, 9 through 14, and it says, God confirms his covenant with Noah. I will never again destroy the earth with a flood. And we get the beautiful sign of the rainbow across the skies for, we think, the very first time. Genesis 10 lists all the clans of Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Don't ever name your kid Ham. It's just not the right thing to do. And then, (laughs) that's where the term what a ham comes from, by the way. And then Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, where God scatters the people and confuses their languages. And this leads us 
to our chapter today in chapter 12 of Genesis. It's an epic story in our history. And this is the story where God establishes covenant with man. And again, you know, we, we tend to think our life begins in the New Testament, but no, our life goes back to this covenant. We want to talk about that today, that, that you are in this story. And if you look deep enough, you'll find yourself there. Now, we tend to look at this story just for the Jews. It's a covenant for them, and it is for the future tribes of Israel. But this covenant is not going to produce just a Jewish people. It's going also to produce the Savior of the world. And that's where we come in, right? That's where we get connected. Now, a few years ago, my wife and I, we did our DNA thing, and it was really interesting. Um, and I turned out to be Dutch. Who would have thought? I, I don't know how that happened. But I turned out to be Dutch, and she turned out to be more Scandinavian in the, from the, the Fries part of Holland, right? That's where the Scandinavians came over. They got their own language. That's why the Dutch don't like the Fries, and the Fries don't like the Dutch. They all live in the Netherlands. And fortunately, my dad was Dutch, and my mom was Fries, so I got the best of both worlds, you know? But as we did the DNA, we, we found out kind of where we came from and our heritage. And I went back, I could go back eight generations in the Netherlands without even trying. I mean, that was easy. And it's kind of like this with the covenant. We are connected by spiritual DNA that goes back all the way to this covenant with Abraham, where Jesus Christ is our connector. He's the thread that runs through this covenant. And we're even more connected through him than we are physically to our, our own physical ancestors. So our spiritual ancestry is eternal, you know? It's eternal, so it's, it's really more real than our physical ancestry. And we're connected by this red thread of Jesus Christ. And in this covenant, God does what we find God does a lot of, and he chooses one man. He chooses one man. And it's so remarkable how God starts with one. You know, he did this with Adam, right? He did this with Noah. Uh, he did this with Moses and Joshua and David and Joseph and Jesus. And here in our story, he chooses one man, a man named Abram, right, Abram. He wasn't Abraham yet, he was Abram, to establish a covenant with him. Uh, you know, as I think about God, I, I always think God's choices of men and women are interesting. Have you ever thought about this, the kinds of people that, that God chooses? I mean, he, he has some interesting choices. Abram was a pagan. He was an idol worshiper. This should make us feel better about ourselves, our potential, right? I mean, God chooses the most unlikely people. You think about who Jesus chose. He chose Matthew, a tax collector. He chose Thomas, a doubter. He chose Paul, a murderer. And these are the men that would write much of the New Testament and would lead the church. Pretty remarkable. And so I guess my takeaway from that is that God's not looking for perfect people. Any imperfect people? Let me see your hands. Anybody imperfect? Good, you qualify for whatever God wants to do. Take the shape and, and God will you know, do something with you. So God's looking for people like Abram who will partner with him in things like covenants. And God made this epic covenant with Abram because he wants to partner with man. And that's the most incredible thing about God, that God wants to partner with man. I mean, why would God do that? But yet he does. He loves to partner with man. And God partnering with man, that's really what covenant is. God gives you know, his vows, and man says, okay, I'll do this, and you have a covenant. So after a couple thousand years of sin and a big flood in the middle of this, holy God visits sinful man. And Genesis 12 records how God calls Abram out of a pagan family and an idol-worshiping culture to follow him. 
Now up on the screen, you're going to see a map of the ancient Far East. And this man we know as Abraham, the father of our faith, uh, was really first named Abram. And he grew up in Ur, which is on the Persian Gulf. Present-day Iraq is where it is. So when you think about the origins of our faith, you have to think about the Middle East. You have to think about Iraq. You have to think about Africa, places like that. We think that the Bible was written in America. It wasn't. It was not written in America. It's far too old for that, right? So the Middle East, the Far East, and, uh, and Abram grew up in Ur on the Persian Gulf. So he was a, in a sea town, pretty much. And Joshua 24.2 tells us that Abram's family did indeed worship idols and pagan gods. And this is the man, and I love this about God, this is the man that God visits and says, Hey, Abram, follow me. Hey, Abram, I want you to go. I want you to leave your family, your beach, your home, your friends, your community, your religion, and other gods to follow me, the one true God. And so God comes to Abram and offers him the chance to partner with him. So if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis 12 this morning, exciting, epic story. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families, can you say all? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Pay special attention to that part of the covenant. So again, what is a covenant? It's really a, a two-part promise, unless it's marriage, then it's the three-part, husband, wife, and God. And, and this covenant is between God and Abram and who the Jewish people will come to be. Um, but it's the last line of the covenant that I just really love. All the families of the earth. All the families of the earth. One day, all the families of the earth will be blessed by this covenant. And of course, we know that that happens because of what Jesus Christ does. So what God is doing here is really foreshadowing a time when families will be blessed through Christ, will be brought into this, this family of God by Christ. So that's what I mean when I say you are in this story from the very beginning. God has you in mind as he plans out the redemption story and he starts with a covenant with one man. God's gonna do his part but we're going to find out this also depends on Abram to do his part. And what's Abram's part of the covenant? Number two in your notes, the man responds in faith. The man responds in faith. God approaches, God pursues, God speaks, and Abram simply responds. Verse four, so Abram went. That was Abram's response. Abram went, he left everything, just as the Lord had told him. And, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75. So we're not talking about a spring chicken here. And you say, well, yeah, they lived a long time, but still, 75, that's, you know, that's getting up there to make some big life changes. And he was 75 when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, those are probably um, household servants that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan, the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. 
Remember that. Remember the, the promised land? That's where that term comes from. This was the promised land of Canaan that Abram traveled through and the Lord spoke to him and said, I'm going to give this land to your offspring, to your children. And we're going to see that happen, of course, through Joshua years and years later. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. Now, this isn't Redding. This is um, Bethel in the Bible, okay? Uh, with, oh, sorry, that was was funnier to me. Um, and there, right, Steve? <laughs> Sounded good to me. And, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on. Now, I want you to notice he didn't stop and stay anywhere. Uh, these were called sojourners. In fact, I, one of the commentators said that Abram didn't own any land at all except just a burial plot in the land of Canaan. And so that's all he owned, according to, to one scholar that I read. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So what does this all boil down to? It all boils down to that Abram responds in faith. This is his response, and this is our response to God when God speaks to us. Now, Abram doesn't know where he's going, but he goes. Like, God didn't tell him where he was going. God just said, go. And he goes, and God leads him to the land of Canaan, and God begins now to detail the covenant. Starts with the big picture, and now God begins to detail the covenant by saying, I will give this land to your children. And the principle here, and I want you to think about this as we journey through life and as we don't always know where we're going and we can't always see what's happening. I want you to realize this and hang on to this, that God will add to our life as we go along. I've seen God do this in my life. He adds to my life as I go along. And I don't, I don't really know, like I couldn't have told you 30 years ago I'd be here with you. I couldn't have. In fact, that would have been the last thing I would have said and the last place I would have lived. Did you know that when Gwen and I got married, we said we will never live in Linden again? Did you know that? <laughs> True story. Not because we hated it, but because we'd been here, you know, and who wants to be there and do that? We, we wanted to go somewhere else, but here we are. So God will add to your life as you follow along, as you say yes to him, he will bring about in your life as you simply walk with God. And here's the thing I want you to get about this. If you never go, you will never know. If you never say yes to God, you will never experience the blessings that God has for you. God has such great things for us, spiritual blessings that he wants us to partner with him in doing. But if we never go, we'll never know all that God wanted to do for us, all that God has for us. So this land promised by God would become the promised land, which one day Joshua would claim for the children of Israel, Abraham's descendants. Now, I want to talk about this for a few minutes. Abraham said yes, but he stumbled a lot along the way. He messed up a lot. And again, that should make us feel better about ourselves. Because we don't want to say yes to God sometimes because we think, you know, we're going to mess it up. We're going to mess it up. We're going to really do a number on this thing that God wants us to do. And it's good to know that the men and women of God stumbled a lot. Abraham was no different. He's called the father of our faith. But very soon you see that he struggles deeply with fear. So deeply with fear, just like we do. And, you know, sometimes a promise is followed by a problem because God really wants to test our faith. That's what God wants to do. And, and he's no different with Abraham. He's going to test his faith right out of the gate. God says, I'm going to bless you, but now let's see if you really trust me. And here's a test, by the way. So here's Abraham's test. 
Verse 10, at that time, that was right after God met with him just maybe a year or two. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. Why is it always Egypt? Why is that always like the place you end up when it's bad, right? Um, As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you're my sister. Then, great story, right? Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Again, what a great Netflix moment. I mean, what a great movie. This is better than anything I've seen in years on television. You know, Netflix, Prime, you name it. Abram, father of our faith, gives in to fear. He didn't really think this through. What he didn't realize was that if she was seen as his sister, they would take her as their wife or harlot, right? They would take her, and they did. Verse 14, and sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. And when the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her, sheep, goats, cattle, Male, female donkeys. I mean, she was a many-animal woman. Male and female, servants and camels. But, but look what happens. Look what happens when you go your own way and you try to protect yourself. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me, he demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? And allow me to take her as my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. (laughs) Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them. And he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions. So, I mean, let's let's just think this through. I'm just trying to give you an idea of of how God works with us. God says, I'm going to bless you. But immediately there's a famine. (laughs) A test. And Abram has to take his family to Egypt to survive. And can't you hear him thinking, God, I left the seaside. And here I am in Egypt, right? God, this doesn't feel like a blessing. You ever felt that way? We've kind of said, God, this doesn't feel like a blessing to to me. I don't don't know how you're possibly going to use this in my life. And then God said, he didn't leave it there. Then God says, you're going to be a blessing to others. And what does Abram do? He lies to Pharaoh and brings down the wrath of God on Pharaoh's life. That doesn't seem like a blessing to others. Seems like a curse. But you see, God's working all this out with Abram. Working this out, and and Abram's getting it worked out of his life. And, And just saying God's blessing brings testing so that sometimes we falter. We do, and I, and I want you to be comfortable with that. Now, I'm not saying we should go out and sin and lie about our wife. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that just realize sometimes in the journey that God has with us, especially if we partner with him, there's going to be times where we falter. There's going to be times where we have fear. There's going to be times when we don't make the best decisions. But it's good for us to know that with Abram, and like with Abraham, God never gives up on us. He never gives up on us. He works with us. And he reminds us of his vow, and he builds our faith. And it's our faith, it's our choice to believe him that makes us right with him again. And that's number three in your notes today. Abram's faith makes him right with God. Abram's faith makes him right with God. 
Genesis 15, one through six. We're gonna skip ahead a couple chapters. You can, you can read at home and fill in the blanks. I recommend you do. It's very exciting stuff. One through six. After these things, and this was all these things, Egypt and all those things. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And here it is. Here's the line. And he believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. You know, here's what I want to say about this. Often God's promise involves a process. Often God's promise thrusts us into this process where God's going to work on our heart and on our character. And, and God's going to teach us to trust him. God's going to teach us to depend more on him than we have before. That's often what a promise from God does. It thrusts us into this process, and we get to work out what we truly believe about God. Is he good even when we don't see the promise being fulfilled? Is God still good? And this trust is built while we wait. And we either, this, my experience is we either go deeper with God and trust him more, become more dependent on him, or we pull away and resent him and go our own way. And we take matters into our own hands. And this is what Abram did in this moment. This was the test. And he got tired of waiting for God. And so he took things into his own hands and he makes things very, very complicated for his family. And here it is in verse one of Genesis 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord, now get this, remember in the garden, shifting the blame? She shifts the blame to the Lord right here. Just look at it. The Lord has prevented me. And I'm a little ticked off about it. The Lord has prevented me from having children, so go and sleep with my servant. And sleep doesn't really mean sleep, just saying. Perhaps I can have children through her. Then Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. Hmm. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. Now, to be fair, this was not unusual. This was something they did back in the day. They would have children um, through their servants and because they were all considered property, right? So uh, that was a possibility, but not what the Lord had asked Abram to do. And this happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So it's interesting. Abram believes God. God credits it to him as righteousness, but his faith falters. And again, I want to say to you, not that we try to have faltering faith, but that that is just a part of the deal. We're going to have times when our faith is weak. But his faith falters. He gets tired of waiting for God. His wife gets tired of waiting for God. And she gives him her maid, Hagar. And Abraham has sex with her. And she bears a son named Ishmael. And this is going to cause all kinds of problems. Go back and read the story. We're not going to cover it. All kinds of problems in his family because of this decision that he made. Uh, When Sarah finally has her own son, which she does, named Isaac... Again, hello, Netflix. This, I mean, this would be such a great show. Now, 
What would faith have looked like for Abram? I think faith would have looked like keeping my trust in God's vow, even though I'm having to wait, even though it feels like a very long time. And it's faith. It's, it's choosing to believe even though, in the even those of life. And by the way, this is also how we are saved, right? We're saved by faith in his grace. Our faith is in what? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even when it's hard to believe he can really forgive us and really love us, do you have those days where it's hard to believe that Jesus can really do that? We must trust his grace. And if we don't, we find ourselves in places like shame and guilt, um, lack of confidence, living in fear, anxiety and worry. And oftentimes because we have kind of lost that faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you what it says in Ephesians 2. It says, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. And this is, not, this is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So let me define a couple words for you today. Because we're all at different places. Like Steve said, we're all beginners in this story, in this journey, right? So let me define a couple things for you. Grace. What is grace? Grace is getting something you didn't deserve. It's, it's unearned favor from God. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it, but God gave it. It is really God's love to save us. That's what grace is. And to forgive us when we deserved death. And like Abram, we simply respond to God in faith, in believing. So, so what does it mean to believe? It means to simply place my trust in what God has said. And maybe that goes against what I even know. That goes against what I can see. That goes against what I can feel. And the Bible does say that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So when you place your faith in someone you can't see, God, that's faith. You can't see him, and yet you choose to believe. And it's this faith that makes us right with God. Jesus' grace is what we place our faith in, but our response like God said to Abraham, said about Abraham, that it's our faith in his grace in what God says that makes us right with God. Paul quoted this scripture in Romans 4.3. He said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So again, I want to say to you today that this was always God's plan. It's always been his plan for us to see ourselves in the story of God's family. And that leads me to number four today, and that's why this covenant is eternal. Number four, God ratifies the covenant as eternal. Here's, here's another time that God came to Abram, and now he adds another depth of dimension to this covenant. And he says, this is not just for your lifetime, Abram, or, or not even just for your own offspring. But this, this covenant is going to extend eternally to all the peoples of the earth. Genesis 17, 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, can you say 99. 99, that's old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between you, me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. That's a pretty good response, actually, when God comes to you. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Here's the name change. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Can you say everlasting covenant? 
everlasting, eternal covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, like, like the, all the land that you traveled through. Remember Canaan, the promised land. I'm going to give it to you. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This promise, this covenant, is to the Jewish people. It is to the Israelites. But it is also to us. Through this story, and when Jesus Christ inserts himself into the story, the threat of redemption goes both directions. And we go back to the covenant. And we, the Gentiles, we're going to be grafted into, we're going to be adopted into this family, into this covenant by the Savior, by Jesus Christ, who would come through this covenant. If you remember, Paul wrote about this in Romans 11. He said, some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. You see, Israel's referred to as an olive tree. And so we, the Gentiles, if you're not Jewish in the room today, we, the Gentiles, are wild olive trees. Can you say that? I'm a wild olive tree. I'm a wild olive tree. Like God called you a wild olive tree. So, you know, live up to it. So now, you also, so now, yeah, sorry. I mean wild in the godly sense, too. Like, you know, wild for Jesus. Okay, so now, you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham. There it is. As a grafted in wild olive tree to the family tree of Israel. Uh, we also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch. <laughs> You're just a branch, folks. You're not a root, okay? But the point is clear that God, God has grafted you in. God has adopted you. Every one of us, everyone who will ever receive Christ in the history of the world will be grafted in to this family of God. And it's really a remarkable thing. And when you start to think about your spiritual DNA this way, uh, you can really connect more to the Old Testament and the stories of the Old Testament because you're there in God's mind, in God's heart. You're there before the foundations of the earth. I, I take God very literally and seriously at his word uh, that he knows each one of us and he knows that we were going to come to him. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to know. So, as I close today, I want to invite the band to come up. And I really wanted to share this this way with you today because I want you to have the encouragement of knowing that there's a depth and there's a history to our story that often we don't think about. And I want you to understand that you're a part of God's family and that that goes back as well as it goes forward. Just like your DNA goes back to whatever country you might be from, your spiritual DNA, because of Jesus Christ, the red thread of redemption, ties us to all of these beautiful, powerful stories of old. And that should encourage us. That should make us really feel more a part of the olive tree. So would you stand with me? I want to just pray for you today. And as I was thinking about how to close today, I was thinking, you know, maybe there's somebody here or maybe someone watching online that... You don't know if you've been adopted in. You don't know if you've been grafted in, if you are part of the family. And I want you to know today that happens only one way, and that happens by believing in Jesus, placing your trust in him, his death and his resurrection on the cross, his love and forgiveness for you. 
It's the way that I became a part of the family, and it's the way that you become a part of the family. So if that's you today, and you'd like to pray that prayer and just say, God, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I receive him today. Would you do that with me now? Let's bow our heads. Father, today, thank you for this epic story, this epic truth of your word, where we get to hear about how you want to partner with man and how you enter into relationship with man and that you still do that today and that you still want to do that today. It's your desire not to disqualify people from heaven, but it's your desire to invite as many of us as will say yes to your love and to your forgiveness and your grace. So Jesus, today I say yes. I've kind of held back and I've kind of wondered and been resistant. Maybe I've been hurt. Maybe I didn't understand the waiting in my life, but but Lord, today, I choose to say yes to you, Jesus. I choose to invite you into my heart. Come into my heart today, Jesus. Forgive my sin, begin to heal my life, and more than anything, make me a part of this wonderful family that you established with Father Abraham. I give you my life today, in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. We're going to close with a beautiful song. Just use it to worship Jesus today and sing to him about his love for you.